It's great to be back at this month. Very often in this slot, we would have a um, welcome to the Nuzman lunch. But we didn't exactly have a, it is a welcome to the Nuzman lunch, you can do that, but it's really a, after the slash, it's really a Rosh Chodesh lunch. Are ah, you wondering it's not Rosh Chodesh? Okay, listen, a lot of funny things happen in Yeshiva. So the first thing I want to say is a tremendous welcome to our new students. Uh, it's great to see you guys, and I hope all, all of you will have a tr- great Zman and um, spend a lot of time in Yeshiva. And our wonderful summer continues, and uh, I want to thank the Rebbe really for, we had so many, we made three Zmanim. It was really Michael Cohen's idea originally to do that. You know, most Yeshivas have one Zman over the summer. We used to have two, and then sometimes we even have three, which is what happened. And it shows the great flexibility of the Rebbe that they uh, can put up with all the changes. And thank God it really worked. There were a lot of uh, fellows came to the Zman in the first summer's month, the second summer's month, or Bezra the Shem, just like last, uh, just like June was so magnificent. July will also be like that. A lot of great headlights coming up. Uh, headlights? Did I just say highlights? When I say when I say headlights instead of highlights, I feel like a a deer caught in the headlights. Okay, so anyway, we're both side. <laughs> so on Rosh Chodesh is what we always do for those who are newer to the yeshiva is that we doctor try to bring um, someone, often an alum, but not exclusively, that is handling the world of working and learning, right? Because at the end of the day, the Rebbeim are more or less have been involved in the life of yeshiva, and, and for so many of the students, that's not exactly like you're going to be replicating, at least practically. Our hearts are all in the same place. All the, um, all the, all the Nehrod are pointing to the middle, but, but practically, it's a different life. So we always want to show, you know, dugmot uh, chayot, real life examples, people who are handling the, stra- the, the, the tension, if you will, or and give advice about how to do that. How how can I be a bentor in the workplace? How can I handle learning and working in the best way? That's something we regularly do on Rosh Chodesh, which is really nice set part of our our schedule. Today we have something very unique because we have someone who's both a rebbe and was in the workplace which is really special. You know, Rabbi Rohn, his short time here, has made a tremendous uh, impression on the staff and on the students. And he was someone who, believe it or not, he was also, you know, involved in the workplace. He's such a big Talmud Chacham. It's, uh, it's hard to believe, but I guess that's part of what this year is about. I don't know if he's going to... I don't know if he has advice to how he become such a big Talmud Chacham, but, 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 but for everybody, <laughs> he's going to give us a little bit of the pointers for his time in the workforce about how to straddle those and, 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 and live those two things. And we really appreciate that he, uh, that he spoke, speaking again over the summer. Uh, I'm here wearing a hat, wearing quite a few different hats here. <laughs> so my hat today is that of a, uh, I call it a survivor, but a uh, former, former businessman. I started off as a lawyer, went into the diamond industry with my father-in-law, Antwerp, Belgium. And then I subsequently went into the wholesale silver jewelry business where I was manufacturing in China, selling in Walmart and Sam's Club in the United States. So I'd like to start off with a, with a story, a story which happened with my son, Pinchas, when he was three years old. Um, we were living in Antwerp at the time, and we came home on Shabbos, Shabbos morning after shul, and uh, the house was dark. So my son went and switched on the lights. And I guess I hadn't uh, learned the latest uh, chinuch techniques. So I shouted, Shabbos! Right? <laughs> 
And my son, without blinking an eyelash, he said, oh, I forgot I was Jewish. <laughs> God, I was Jewish. <laughs> so, <laughs> I always knew Shogay, you could forget. It's Shabbos, you forget. Malach, I forget. That was, I said to my wife, you know, actually, I think this is actually the Shorish of every single Shogay. You can't forget it's Shabbos without forgetting you're Jewish. You can't forget what a Malach is without forgetting you're Jewish. We can't, right? you, know you're Jew, you know what it means to be a Jew? We'll never forget. Sometimes we forget what it means to be a Jew. And this is something I think is super important for anyone planning to go into the workforce into business and anything you do, to remember what it means to be a Jew. First of all, Klapi Chutz, everyone is looking at you. Whether you think so or not, people are looking at you. And you have to be an example. You're an ambassador of the Rabbeinu Shalom in this world. And people are looking at a Jew to see how he's going to behave, if he's going to behave better than the others. Not, not, not if he's going to be worse. They're actually looking to see if you're going to be better. And it's super important. And perhaps even more important is for yourself. Constantly to remember that you are a Jew. And what does that mean? Obviously, you have to behave properly, understand that Rabboni Shalom is with you the whole time. But even more, I think what's essential for a Jew is to constantly, constantly be in the process of growing. This is something which people often forget when they go into the workforce. You think, my formative years are going to be in yeshiva. That's where I'm going to grow. And then I'm going to sort of go into autopilot, into the workforce. And then, uh, you know, I'll have my dafyom yeshiva, I'll have this, and everything's going to be fine. And, and you find people get into sort of this satisfaction. Now, we learn from our rabbis that there is no such thing as staying in one position. Yetzirah doesn't stop. He doesn't, you can declare a ceasefire, but he's not going to listen to you. He's getting paid a full, full, full wage to continue fighting. Right? So if you're not fighting, by definition, you're going to be falling. I remember in Ritzviz, we used to have this big tzaddik who used to come and talk for Moshe Aaron Stern every two weeks. Remember, he said a word from his grandfather, I think uh, Moshe Aaron Stern, he said, It doesn't say kasher this He left his hands. You know, he wasn't actively lifting them up. They fell. So this is something to constantly keep in mind. So how does a person in the business world constantly grow? Well, we, we think that, that that happens in yeshiva, but the answer is you have to grow. You can't stop. And this is going to be in a few realms. First of all, what I learned at least myself is to constantly keep connected. Connected to people who are growing. This is the most important thing. Connect to Rabbonim who are greater than you, people who are holier than you. Find the Ben Aliyah and cling to him. It's super important. I was Zoha to have a Chavrusa from the day after, basically the week after I got married. Someone who was a businessman, could have been a Rosh Hashiva, should have been a Rosh Hashiva. And he basically was a man constantly growing, 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 changing, and it was just incredible. I also found, before I get to practical examples, that what's super important Always go beyond what you think you can do. In other words, challenge yourself. Challenge yourself. Learn more than you think you should learn, than you think you can learn. And uh, if you can't connect to someone, be that example for everyone else. Seriously, go to a place, and people appreciate it, and it makes a difference for yourself. When I went to Antwerp, I couldn't find that someone. There were many great people, but nobody was interested. You know, they weren't, those people were not interested in learning with me, necessarily. So I started a Chabura for Balabatim, where everyone would give shirim, and people thought it was such a foreign idea. What's this? I never gave a Chabura since I left Yeshiva 20 years ago. And then it became a really popular thing, thanks to a, a big uh, potato kugel. And uh, a lot of people came, and wives were calling me, and mothers were thanking me. It says, my husband, he hasn't been in the base Medrash, you know, to prepare a Chabura since, you know, ever. You know, he'd go out with his friends, and now they're actually preparing, and people are, are steiging. So that's, that's very important, to make yourself that example if you can. And one other thing, before I get to the Nisyonos, I learned was essential, at least for me, is don't stop learning 
Musr. You learn Masil Sharm when you're in Yeshiva. Continue learning Masil Sharm when you're in the workforce. People think that's for Yeshiva Bachrim. I used to learn it. It's so much more important. Believe me, it makes all the difference in the world. I would even say, Bachrayas, at the expense of Gemara. In other words, if you have an hour a day to learn, take 20 minutes to learn Masil Sharm. I promise you it'll make such a difference in your life. Or Chasidus, whatever you connect to, whatever, whatever makes you feel like you grow, what helps you grow in Yeshiva, I think that has to be, it's a must. It's a must when a person's in the workforce. Now, what I'd like to talk about, okay, a person wants to be a Ben Aliyah. He's going to grow. He has that in mind. He's going to try to grow every day. Every day he has to say to himself, how am I a better person than I was yesterday? How am I closer to God today than I was yesterday? Because just if you don't do this, what's going to happen, like I said, you're definitely going to fall. And the fall is not going to be sudden. The Yitzhar is smarter than that. It's going to be a very gradual, gradual, slow, slow descent. You'll notice it a few years later. Usually you don't notice it in yourself. Because that's part of the fall. Some, but other people can notice it in you. I, mean, I have good friends who I was very good friends with, and I, we have nothing in common anymore. And nothing really happened. I can't tell you when they changed, but just partially because they weren't growing, so they just fell, and then they became different people. You become less sensitive to things you were sensitive to originally. And the tragedy is when you yourself don't even recognize it. And this is something you have to be very, 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 very wary about and careful. Now, what's important is when you go into battlefield, like any battlefield, you have to know your enemy. Know your enemy. A person can be the strongest soldier, the best trained, with the most motivation in the world, but if he has no strategy and no plan, and he doesn't know where his enemy is coming from, he stands no chance. Right? So this is like any other battle. A person can be determined to grow, can be determined to win this battle, and he can. But the Shmokul doesn't give you an assignment you can't pass. You should have to have a strategy. You have to be proactive, and you have to have a plan. You have to have a plan. So I'm going to give you some advice which I learned from experience, and, uh, you know, things which I felt were very, very, very important that a person should know in advance and be prepared for. The first thing I want to mention is something which you'd be surprised that not many people speak about. I, mean, I was surprised that not many people speak about, and there's a reason for this. It's, not, it's, not a, it's a subject which actually is uh, taboo in many places, but that is honesty in business. It sounds posh to us. Right? You gotta be honest. The Torah says Midor Shekar Tirchak. Right? You're not allowed to steal. But there's a Gemara, a very, very surprising Gemara in Baba Basra, of Kuf Samachay. It says, Rubam Begezel. Right? Miyutan Barayas, Kulam Beloshan Hara, Avak Loshan Hara. Rubam Begezel. Most people steal. Real Gezel? Rashi says it doesn't mean real Gezel. People don't come to people and steal their money. But they're more a heter to somehow do things which they normally wouldn't do. Things which are not 100% right, making money when they shouldn't be making money at the expense of someone else. And there, this, this, this became something which to me was a complete shock. Complete shock. I came as a, as you could say, a tmimistik, a shivabacher, and suddenly I saw people who I respected. You see, it's, it's not so much if you see the non-Jew over there cheating. The problem is you're going to find a lot of Jews cheating. Unfortunately, this is what the Gemara says, and it's true. You find a lot of Jews who don't eat in your house because you're not kosher enough for them. We're cheating as well. And cheating everyone on their level. You understand? They're going to say that that guy, he's a ganav. I would never do what he does. But, you know, I'll stash a few hundred thousand on the side. I'm not going to declare. I'll change an invoice here, change an invoice there, smuggle a bit here, quickly. And, and these things happen. And where it becomes difficult is when you're all by yourself against a whole bunch of people who do these things. And the problem is they come up with chuvas. 
Shilas Chuvas, you know, there's the Minchash Merrill says the Ferris, you're allowed to, you're allowed to cheat the insurance. They bring you Chuva from here, from there, which by the way, I, I say is Pshat. Rambam says a person should be novel Bershusa Torah. Right? In Pashas Kedosh, novel Bershusa Torah, so we say that means that you could be within the realm of, of the Torah and mitzvahs and still a person could be corrupt, right? But I, sometimes I say it means also a person could be novel Bershus, using the Rishus from the Torah. Right? You could take a Shilas of Chuvas out of context and, miss, and use the Torah Dabka to allow you to do almost anything. And, and this happens, I actually spoke to Rav Osher Weiss about this because I was in such shock. <laughs> and at one point I actually thought that maybe I'm the crazy one. Because people told me that. Very, very big people told me I'm the crazy one. So I went to speak to Rav Osher Weiss and told him what's going on here. So he put me on track. He says, you're not crazy. <laughs> They're crazy. <laughs> he says, and says, created us with a certain yashras. We make things complicated for ourselves, right? We become very, very complicated. And you can tap into that yashras somehow. You know, I, I found the easiest way is to always imagine what my kids would say if I would tell them what, what I did. You know, I managed to cheat the authorities. What do you think? Kids would say, crazy, that, that's gezel, right? Obviously, a Baruch Hashem, I never actually had to ask my kids that because I knew the answer. Because we still have that yashras. But you sometimes have to throw away all these, I'm serious, these heterim which are given to you and go back to this natural yashras. Unfortunately, you know, your kids have to grow up in a family of honest people to have this yashras. I was once at someone's house, someone, a friend of mine, and he, I remember the kids were playing a game. I don't remember what this game was. One of these games you pick up, you have a question that's asked and how, how are you going to react to the kids were. One of the kids picked up this question, if you could lie about uh, a certain thing to make money. I don't know what it was. It was a major lie and you make a thousand dollars. Would you do it? So I was very happy that my kids said, of course not. And the other kids said, of course. And then the father said, that's that, that a girl, that's my daughter. He was proud. <laughs> He was proud, and he was a from Jew. And I was like, where, where, where are we coming to? I promise you, this is not, this is a, so you've got to be super careful. One time, I was sitting in the office in, in Antwerp. This is a real Nasa Shahaya. And uh, there, there was a certain Rav who didn't live in Antwerp, a certain person who, who called himself a Makubal. And he used to come sometimes collecting, but he wasn't collecting. He had a few mostas. He had a yeshiva, he had a, a shul. Not in Ertisville either, somewhere else. And he would come to Antwerp, he'd actually do business, which is nice. He would collect, actually, he was a bit in the diamond trade, so he'd do business. And this way he could support himself and support his uh, institutions. And, and I, was, I was sitting alone in the office, and he walked inside the office. I stood up, saw him, I saw him before a Shabbos, he'd wear white, it looked very. And uh, gave me bracha, and he sat down, we we're schmoozing a bit, he told me the very Torah, then he says, okay, tachlis. The reason I'm here is, you know, because. I have to do business, I have to support my mostas, therefore I have a proposition. I'd like to buy, well actually I have a customer in a certain country who can buy a million dollars worth of diamonds. Give me the diamonds, I'll sell them, bring you the money. I said, wonderful, okay, so I'll call Brinks, make a shipment, you have to make a sh- an official shipment when you send it to the, wherever you're sending it to, because everything has to be marked. How many diamonds come into the country, how much leaves, how much money goes in, goes out, right? You, know, you don't understand. I, I mean, I'll take it in my briefcase here, and I'll bring it there, and I'll bring it back cash. So I realized he wanted to smuggle, which is, besides being completely illegal, if you're caught, it's the biggest chil Hashem, which, by the way, is the only thing where there's no kapara, unless, except for death. No kapara for chil Hashem, except Misa. And besides, it's a tremendous lie. I said, you mean you want to smuggle the diamonds? <laughs> and he looked at me, and he saw, okay, but he wasn't expecting that. So what happens when people, they become defensive and very, very angry, right? Because they know they're wrong. 
So he stood up and he said, he started telling me, I could see Chochmas parts of all these averas that you do. He started cursing me and cursing me and cursing me. And as he's cursing me, my father-in-law walks in. And here's this, this Mekubal is cursing his son-in-law. And my father-in-law doesn't react well to people cursing his son-in-law. So he not so politely told him to leave. And, but, but I realized, you know, this how serious it is. You know, talking about people who are respected. And, you know, they, they, this was like a norm, and he was shocked that I wasn't willing to do such a thing like that. And I wasn't doing something which is midas chasidus, it's pashat, you know, psukim in the Torah. You know, so that, that, that's a very, very difficult thing. And, and it was a tremendous misoyim, especially when people start, you know, looking down at you. And uh, it's something which you have to be very vigilant and, and keep your eyes open, because often people will tell you things are okay when you know yourself. You know yourself, it's not okay. And believe me, besides the fact that you're doing the right thing, and this is something which... You know, we get this, what, what do we say? We say one of the first two questions which they ask you when you come to Shemayim is, Are you honest in business? So I once saw in a tzava of one of the Talmidei Hagura, I don't remember which one it was, it was a printed tzava, he says, what does it mean, Bemuna? Usually it should be Ba'amona, the honest one to the other. So he says, Emuna means Emuna in the Rosh if you have a moon on Hashem, you know, Mizanosav shall Adam Katsuvim on the Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah. Kodesh Baruch decides exactly how much money you're going to make if you do the basic Ishtadlos, right? And you think your Rosh Hashanah is not able to give you what you need in an honest way? Rosh Hashanah is so crooked? Yeah, a person can make more money than he should be making, but that's not the money he's supposed to be making. If you believe in the Rosh Hashanah, then, then why would you be dishonest? The problem is when you're in business or in anything, after a while, you stop believing because you start believing in yourself. It's very easy. It's natural. You believe in Kochei Vatsumiyadi. It's very, very natural. If I don't do this, I'm not going to make the money. I have to... Wait. Is it right or is it wrong? It can't be that the way God's going to give you your parnos is by doing something awesome. That makes no sense. So Chisar Ninamuna. Anyway, that's... Uh, that's uh, and, and one more thing. When you do the right thing, at least I experience, it's a tremendous feeling. You feel very good. And that feeling is worth more than any money you can make. Knowing that you go to, you're going to go to the kever... And I'm not going to feel bad about something. At least I tried my best. I remember one time I did a business with someone and the business came from me so I sort of deserved a commission. But it's one of these Heimish sort of businesses. You know, you're close to the person. It's a family member. You didn't actually write a contract. And then when we made, we made this, this business and there was a certain amount of money that came in and he said to me sort of, well, I'm going to give you this amount for commission. It was much more than I ever expected. That's so nice of him. That's like more than a whole year's salary for me. I could use that money. It was tremendous. The problem is, again, we didn't write it down. And I knew this person is forgetful. He says things sometimes one day, he doesn't remember the next day. And the worst thing I'd want is to actually take that money. Then him ask me for the money, and I'd say, you told me. I said, no, I didn't. And then it's uncomfortable. And then I started questioning myself. Maybe he didn't really say it. Maybe I thought he said it. <laughs> so I had this tremendous, tremendous nulchama, because the money came through my account, and I was supposed to wire it to him. So should I keep back that money, which I thought he told me would be my commission, or not? So it was a big mocham. It was very hard for me. I wasn't sure what to do. Came Yom Kippur. <laughs> Yom Kippur night. I couldn't concentrate on a word of davening. The whole davening, I'm... Should I keep it? No, I keep it. It's right. I can, because I know it's mine. But what if he suspects? And what? And at one point, I said, I can't go through Yom Kippur like this. I said, you know what? I'm going to do the simple thing. After Yom Kippur, I'm going to call him up and ask him, do you want me to wire you this money? And I'll see what he says. That specific amount. So first of all, I felt so good that Yom Kippur. I was able to daven with just a clear conscience. It was the most incredible thing. After Yom Kippur, I called him. He said, yeah, please wire the money. He forgot the whole thing. <laughs> I was so glad that I, I didn't take it. I'm telling you, much happier than... So anyway, that's, that's, that's one Nisayan, which I think is super, super important for a person to be aware of and uh, be prepared for. And again, you can pass it. You just have to be aware. You have to be proactive. The second one 
is what the Gemara says, Miyuton, the Arayas. And this is Inyonitznius. And, and this is a serious issue. And I'm talking about, you know, I was in a, at the beginning in a business which was mostly, I wouldn't say mostly, but I was surrounded by religious Jews. Funny enough, the second business I was in, which was the wholesale jewelry business, I had less of a problem than this. Now, it's strange. First of all, I once, I once heard something. It was a shir I once heard by Rabbi Mordechai Willig. Gave me, uh, gave me advice, not me, gave advice for preventive medicine, which I think, I think was incredible, something I implemented. Again, I can't tell you the results because in preventive medicine you can't know what would have been had you not. But, but I think it's incredible advice. And he said like this, and he said, you know, normally we don't encourage people to make nadarim, make a nether, to add isurim to your life. Something which is mutter to say, you know, this is going to be asr for me. First of all, it's enough for the Torah. It's also, and also it's, it's risky because if you break your nether, it's a serious issue. It says, an exception to the rule is what's called nidre ziruzin. Make a nether to make sure your mekayim mitzvahs or, or not be over averis. Like sometimes to become a nazir. Right? So he said, he gave an example of one thing which he thought is a very, very appropriate nether to make and I, I can really attest to this. He says, a person goes on a business trip, often people go out for drinks. Go out for drinks. And what happens when people go out for drinks? Be very bad. You never know. You're with non-Jews, with Jews. People come. And he says, make a nether. You don't go out for drinks when you're, when you're on a business trip. So make a nether. I did this. I made a nether. And I never had an assignment. I promise you. Because of the nether. Had I not made a nether, for sure I would have. Because there's a guy from Sam's Club. I tried to make a meeting for two years. Couldn't get hold of him. He comes to me at a trade show. Says, let's meet. Let's, let's go to the cocktail bar. And have, have... So, of course, I would have gone. But I made another. So I said, do you mind joining me in the kosher restaurant instead? He was, he was fine with that. But I'm serious. That, that's because, and that really helps. And other things, when I made another for myself, I'm not going to go out by myself when I'm on a trip at night. Just touring. You go around the world, beautiful places you want to see. Not by myself. So I'd always take a friend. <laughs> Sometimes very awkward situations. One time I was with a, a non-religious shutta, a wonderful person, and we went to Shanghai. And I really wanted to see Shanghai. I can come to Shanghai, not tour but we're working all day, and there's only night, evening. So I called him up and said, Danny, you want to come out? Let's go out together. And he knows me as a very, I'm a non, not social person at all. I never go out with friends. You know, even today my wife always complains that I'm, so, so I said, let's go out. He said, you want to go out? I said, yeah. So, so we went out, and it's a funny, funny story there. I had to daven, it was Mariv must have been. There was no minion there in Shanghai, the part we were. So I davened, and, and he, uh, he was laughing his head off at the end. And he said, you don't realize you were just, Davening to a statue of Mao Zedong, <laughs> and and there was a policeman who was watching. A Chinese policeman was walking around. You just what is this weird guy praying? To? <laughs> so he was taking pictures of me davening to this Mao Zedong. So, so some interesting. Anyway, that's that's from this nether I had. I'll call upon him. Where where was any sign? I'll tell you. For example, you're among religious people in the diamond trade. For example, everyone has to go. I mean, the big diamond companies. You go to the trade shows. Even they're not big diamond companies. Where's the biggest trade show of the year in America? It's in Las Vegas. The biggest trade show. You have to go to Las Vegas. You can't not be in Las Vegas. Now, okay, first year my father says, I'm sending you to Las Vegas. I said, great, okay. Is there going to be a minion? Yeah, hotel with a minion. No problem. Uh, kosher food? Kosher food. What else do you want? From people staying there? Tons of from people. So what do you want? So what's the name of the hotel? It's called the Venetian. Beautiful hotel and only $40 a night. Gorgeous hotel. Why is it so cheap, by the way, in Las Vegas? Because... When you gamble, you put, put it on the room. It's how it works. You give the room card, and people, you know, the hotel makes a lot of money on people. 
So, see, I go there, and I got the shock of my life. The shock of my life. I, I'm a Frum Jew, and I would never go mix with him. I'm not going to go to a beach, right? Now, walking through a casino is probably worse than walking through a beach in Tel Aviv. I'm telling you that. So what do they expect? I couldn't go to the Minion without walking through a casino. Couldn't go to the trade show without walking through the casino. Couldn't go to the kosher breakfast, which was in a restaurant in the casino. <laughs> All the Hasidim sitting there having, like, what, what's going on here? Who are the wait? Like, I said, well, why is this okay? It's business, it's okay. Would you go here with your wife? No, of course not. So why, 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 why? So what's, well, what's the hetter? What is the hetter? It's Ramesh, it's awesome. And, and I was in shock. Shock, shock, shock. People come to me and say, you're coming with us to the show tonight. What, what show? What show is this show? I'm, actually, Baruch Hashem, at the time I was learning Mithal Ashas, I had to, there were tests constantly. I was taking tests. I was a bit busy. Coming to the show. So it's called Cirque du Soleil. It's a, so what is it? It's basically ladies dancing. And people want, from people, like, what is this? I said, would you take it? Whatever. So it was, I was shocked, 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 but so many, so many. Everybody does it. It's fine. It's fine. It's business. You go with the clients, you schmooze, you, you. Okay, so, so terrible. So, so what, what to do? So I thought I can't go back. And I told my father, well, I don't think I can go back. He said, what's, what's going on? Everybody goes. Because he really, he had never been. Also, he never saw such a thing. And uh, Baruch Hashem, I found out there are a lot of good Jews, really, I think. I wasn't the only one who, who this bothered. He did a bit of homework. I did homework. And I found out there's another hotel 10, 15-minute walk away, which is literally a three-minute bus ride called the Alexis Park. Not as glamorous, not as nice. There's no casino. 90% Jews staying in this hotel. Minion Factory, Dafyomi, Shurim, whatever you want. And you feel like in Vinebrak. I'm not joking. You can go to Las Vegas. You feel like in Vinebrak. You don't have to step foot in a casino one time. And, and I did that for about seven years in a row. And there's still people to this day who don't believe that there's such a thing because they never really wanted to find out. They're very happy. I'm serious. And it, it's, you have to know. All I'm saying is you have to be on your toes and don't, don't just follow the flow. You follow the flow. I promise you, you'll fall. I would, you would fall. There's no way not to fall. And, and the problem is you have talked to people who are not sensitive to this anymore. That's a great sign that they fell. Fell tremendously. And that's, that's something which is very important. Um, okay, the last thing. Do I have a few minutes? Last thing I'm going to mention, I think this is something which has been mentioned before by many people, and I just I can talk from my own experience, is be proud of who you are. Don't be ashamed to be a Jew. Don't be ashamed to be a Jew. And I, was, I went to the office of uh, one of our big investors. It was so weird for me because he was, he's probably a billionaire, from Jew, he has kids in Lakewood, 50% of his office are from, but he doesn't wear a yarmulke at work. It was very strange, and he came. He was. It was very strange. I didn't understand why. Originally, it started because he was meeting with people, but now it's changed. But he still doesn't. Now, one time I was in Hong Kong at a trade show, the, the, probably the biggest trade show, bigger than the one in Las Vegas. But there, there, there are very few Tznius problems over there. Interesting. And uh, so I was alone in the booth, and and an Arab came, a Muslim from Dubai. This is before the Abram Accords. This is like 17 years ago. And he comes into the booth, he looks in both directions. Goes, okay, can I have a word with you? So, yeah. So he comes in, closes the, know, with a curtain. I thought maybe he was going to take out a gun. I was a bit nervous because that same trip, when I came to, to Hong Kong, I made a bit of a mistake. It was just at the time of the Second Lebanon War. And uh, when I got off the plane, there was fake news. And this one guy, a guy I actually know very well, he came to me, he just got a message. We killed Nasrallah. Israelis killed Nasrallah. I don't know if it's good news or bad news. I was a bit nervous, and I got up there. I wanted to find out if it's true. So I was waiting in line for passports, and I, I thought there was a guy on the plane next to me. 
So I said, Haim Zanachon, so English. So I wasn't smart enough to realize he probably wasn't on my flight. So I said in English, is it true that we got him? I said, who? I said, Nasrallah. I said, I hope not. <laughs> so I'm from Dubai. So I said, <laughs> so then, <laughs> he was staring at me the whole time. Anyway, so I thought maybe it was related to that. This guy comes in from Dubai into the booth. And he says, I have to talk to you. <laughs> I said, okay, what is it? And he said, I want to tell you something. And, and it's something which really, it's important for me to say. He says, you know, I was in, there was a trade show in Dubai two months ago. He says, most of you people who come, there are many Jews would come, even before the Abraham Accords. They just made sure not to come through Israel and not to have Israel stand on your passport. He said, they all take off their kippah. You know, we come here, we're, we're not ashamed. You take off your kippah. Now, there's one guy who didn't take off his kippah, and his name is, his name is um, Martin Rappaport. I don't know if you know him. He lives here in Yerushalayim, diamond there. He's never ashamed. He goes with his kippah everywhere, and his, uh, he's got a bow tie as well. And, and, he didn't just walk around with a kippah, he says. During the trade show, he decided to make a minion mincha in the hallway next to his booth. And he's screaming, it's enter, it's enter, mincha, 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 in Dubai. And people are saying, you're crazy. But at the end, he actually gathered a minion. And he said, I was watching this, and I can't help it. But I was proud. I, can't, I, I don't like Jews. I'll tell you, I was proud. I was so proud. He says, I hate it when people are ashamed of their identity. I can't stand it. It makes me hate them as well. What he said, you're ashamed of yourself, why do you expect us to respect you? If you're proud of yourself, there's something we'll respect in you, and don't be ashamed of who you are. This is from a Muslim who told me so. So I, for me, that was a big, big, big lesson. Not to be ashamed of who you are. You see, the, the Hindus are not ashamed of who they are. The Muslims are not ashamed. We're in a time now we can walk around proud. We have to be proud Jews and make, be this example. Right? Be this, this example, the ambassador. A person has to look at a Jew and say, wow, I wish I could be like him. Because right? if you're going to walk around with a keeper and cheat and do these other things, maybe it's better... Not to wear a keeper, but that's, uh, <laughs> you know, these are the few lessons I learned. There's, there's so much more, but I think, I think I'll stop with this for now.